All right, welcome back to the 90th percentile of Baseball America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. Back for another week. We got another set of exciting guests, as we always do. I'm really excited about this one because I think it's a little bit different from some of the other conversations that we've had and digging to something that I think maybe hasn't been up there on the surface as much. They'll tell you as much as themselves, but we have on Sean Campbell and Matt Pajak, uh, founders of Loden Sports. Um, they're a human performance data provider that focuses on talent identification, athletic testing, and keeping athletes healthy, all important things. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Appreciate you having us. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, let's jump right into it. So I'll, I'll kick it over to Sean first, go over to Matt, uh, age over beauty here, and uh, give me... Give me your background, Sean. Sort of how did you get into this? And um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I think uh, for, for me, a lot of this started um, as an area scout. Um, 20, 2006 was my first draft. Uh, got hired in the fall of 2005 with the Pittsburgh Pirates to do Northern Cal, Northern Nevada. Uh, did that for three years. Uh, bumped down to Southern California. Did Orange County and San Diego for the Pirates for two drafts. And then jumped over and did uh, some some Northeast cross-checking for the uh, San Diego Padres, uh, 11, 12, and 13 drafts, and then 14 and 15 hours of national cross-checker there. And I was the, I guess, squirrely guy in the room that was always uh, had a hamster running and, you know, just curious about, you know, trying to be the, the best that I could at my job, uh, provide the best recommendations to the club. Um, I took a lot of pride in trying to be as accurate as possible in, in those recommendations, right? Whether it was the first round, uh, back in those days, there were 40 rounds, um, you know, and, and taking each selection that we had as serious as possible round to round. And what you missed and what, what you couldn't see with, with your naked eye, what was, you know, important, you know, from, from a trade perspective, maybe not necessarily a skill perspective uh, in, in the game of baseball. And what did you overanalyze? What did you underanalyze? You know, taking guys first round on down. You know, why did why was I high on a guy that that didn't get out of A ball? Why was I low on a guy that you know was pitching or playing in the big leagues? Right. So curiosity for me was just a constant. Uh, it, it was it was an evolution um, after the the 2015 draft um, in San Diego. I ended up later that year uh, moving over to a position with USA Baseball as a senior director of sport development. And at that time, being partnered with Major League Baseball, um, they had an interest in going out and doing their own, you know, kind of ID events, the single day showcases type thing. And at that point, I was tasked with building that entire program, right? Um, soup to nuts. And my thought was, um, you know, single day showcases, the, those kind of evaluation touch points with the kids, in my opinion, were a little outdated. Um, what we did, I was kind of over showing up as a scout to an event where, you know, a guy throws from right field, uh, you know, runs a 60, takes BP, and then, you know, takes it to the house. Um, if we're there, why, why can't we go further in depth? with, with these guys. Right. And, and I guess in, in 10 years of scouting for, for me, the, the single thing that, that continued to come 
up, I guess, in, in different conversations, learning from, from different sports and uh, scouts and performance people in other sports was athleticism. And at that time, um, athleticism was an extremely subjective box that we filled in in our reports, right? It, it depended on, you know, if, if the guy was multi-sport athlete, he was a plus athlete. Well, that didn't matter if the guy sat the bench in football and basketball, but he was really good in baseball. He was still a three-sport athlete. So the subjectivity of that grade always kind of stuck in my side. And, um, you know, when we started the prospect development pipeline, fast forward to USA Baseball, in partnership with Major League Baseball, you know, I wanted to try and go further in depth and, and do some different things and, you know, technology, if, if we could integrate it to assess athleticism, uh, Rapsodo, I think at, at the time was maybe with three or four major league organizations, right? Like ball flight was just kind of starting to really bubble up on the surface. It was portable. That was you know, not just affixed to a backstop or a press box uh, in major league stadiums, um, bat sensors, you know, so, so we just tried to pile in as much as we possibly could, uh, even, you know, doing eye tests on hitters, right? Um, that wasn't super widespread. So we wanted to integrate as much of that as possible, not knowing if it was going to mean anything. Right. Um, and I think like just fast forwarding again to, to where we are now with with Matt's, you know, wizardry and, and skill set. I, I feel like we're in a really good spot that, you know, we, we understand what the data and information is telling us uh, at a much higher level. You know, um, it's, it's gone from just kind of like curiosity to where. We're now to a point where we understand different athletic traits, what those mean, you know, on the fields, uh, how they develop, when they develop, um, you know, some of those different things. But, yeah, I think that's probably a, a super long winded answer as to what my background is. But that's, you know, background and a little bit of, you know, kind of where where we are as a company, I guess, um, from that standpoint. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, really insightful. And I think the fact that, you know, you're tying in the more traditional scouting element of it to some of this more quantifiable data and things like that, that's exactly what the show's about. So I uh, was yep. perfect. Matt, we'll segue over to you and your background and sort of how you fit into, you know, everything that Sean was just talking about. Yeah, obviously I wouldn't have been able to get to anything in terms of thought process or actually manifesting it into something without Sean, because Sean was the one who had all the experience and having that back and forth uh, really just kind of helped me. It was kind of like he would have thoughts and then it would just manifest through like, Oh, it, I, I can see if I can make that work or happen. Um, but going back to my background, just like real quick, it's really just like curiosity and enjoyment. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, here I am. Um, but like went to college undeclared, um, took a couple classes, took interest in marketing cause it seemed to be more of the creative side of business and then ended up majoring in marketing, um, towards the back end of college, had a couple internships with the Cape Cod baseball league, grew up playing baseball, grew up vacationing on the Cape, uh, went to the Chatham A's summer camp when I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, you know, baseball has always been a huge part of my life. 
Um, and then that became a pretty natural summer internship that was unpaid and involved taking out the trash and having dip spit drip down your leg. Um, but finding enjoyment in that was kind of like enough for me to know that like, Oh, like, you know, curiosity, enjoyment, like, I kind of enjoy being around a ball yard, even if I'm not getting paid and there's dips bit dripping down my leg when I take out the trash, like, damn it, CJ Hinojosa. I don't know if I can, you can cut that out if you want, but <laughs> like, you're not supposed to dip. It's a, it's a public high school. There's signs that they do it anyway. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you can do anything you want at, at Wareham, to be frank, that, that field destroyed my legs in high school. So you can do <laughs> anything you want on that gravel infield. I mean, who knows what's buried under that thing? <laughs> Technically off Cape too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's about as, <laughs> it's about as Cape as Plymouth. <laughs> so um, went to Bryant University and that is primarily business school. Um, and whenever all my friends were getting jobs uh, heading into senior spring, you know, state, uh, state street up in Boston and um, you know, all of finance and, accounting jobs and all that, I was sitting there kind of wondering what I was going to do next. Um, and I think that was kind of like, I don't want to say like an identity crisis, but um, Paul Gallup, the uh, commissioner of the Cape, you know, rest in peace, really good friend of mine. Uh, he reached out and he was kind of a reference for me, um, you know, as I was applying to jobs, you know, in the real world, I guess. Um, and he was like, well, if you can't find anything, you can come work with me for the summer and, you know, manage all the contracts coming in and out of the Cape. So um, ended up doing that. And uh, through him, you know, was able to meet a handful of really interesting people in baseball. Uh, John Green, who's been a friend since then um, and has always been really supportive. You know, I think he's now the global cross checker for the, the Dodgers. He's got yeah. some crazy title like that. Um, Randy Flores, Matt Hyde. Um, and just, you know, having opportunities, I remember, you know, sitting in the dugout with them, they played Orleans versus the Yankees area code team. Um, and I was in a dugout with Matt Hyde and, um, team money and, uh, Ray Fagnant and, you know, sitting there and Jay Grooms throwing to Kyle Lewis and I don't, just the whole experience. And it was like the first time where someone kind of like broke down for me, like, oh yeah, like this guy's not going to be able to play center field because he can't do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense. You know, I'm not saying like that in particular to Kyle Lewis, but like going like position by position, kind of like these are the different tools. This is where they profile and all of that. I was sitting in a dugout next to a scout and they were breaking that down for me. And I'm like, this is really interesting. Um, so after that summer, um, I ended up going down the road of like trying to get a job with DraftKings uh, because I was really into fantasy football at the time. I was writing a blog. Um, ended up getting offered a position, but it was right around the time when, uh, they weren't sure whether or not, you know, it was gambling or it wasn't. Um, and they were getting shut down in New York and all that. And I was like, this probably just isn't a good time to like take that bet and <laughs> no pun intended, um, <laughs> and go work for DraftKings. Right. So, uh, it was like right around Christmas and I was starting to wonder if I was ever going to have a job. Um, and I was kind of in panic mode a little bit. Um, and I ended up finding an internship online because I was on Twitter of all places, saw a, uh, camo USA baseball hoodie pop up, probably a targeted advertisement, um, clicked on that, went to the USA baseball shop, which is kind of browsing around. And I was like, you know what, scroll to the bottom career opportunities. And it was just like nine month internship. I was like, that's long enough for 
me to hop in a car and, and go relocate to North Carolina. Um, so Paul made a call to Eric Campbell, college national team director, um, and got me set up with an interview. And then like within a week I had interviewed, got offered the position and, uh, was packing everything I could possibly fit into my Honda Civic to drive down to Durham, North Carolina. Um, it was kind of funny because, you know, I got, I asked, I was like, where should I live? Cause I've never been to North Carolina before. Um, and I remember Kevin Kelly, who at the time was overseeing the intern program at USA was just kind of like, well, like someone stayed here last year. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I called up that, that was the only apartment complex that I had been given. Um, and I called them up and I was like, Hey, I'm interested in this apartment. And they're like, all right, when do you want to come see it? I'm like, nah, I'm moving in next week. Like lock me in for it. <laughs> um, so anyway, moved down and I was here for nine months. Uh, that was one of the funnest summers of my life, uh, just with all the other interns and all the different crazy shit that we got into. Um, but towards the end of that, I was starting to wonder like, okay, well, what am I going to do next? And that's when the guy with the beard uh, rolled into my office and um, asked to take me to lunch about a month before my internship was going to end. And he told me about the PDP and um, ultimately plucked me into what was going to be another 12 month internship after three months as an intern. And after our first swing of events, uh, in early 2017, um, brought me on full time as the assistant director for the PDP. So, um, that was kind of how I got all the way up to that point. And then, um, you know, kind of to his point, you know, he said that he came over from scouting, you know, he was really interested about a lot of these different things. I would just roll down into his office and, you know, he was like, does any of this, does any of this stuff mean anything? And it became like, kind of like one curious brain and another curious brain trying to solve the puzzle that uh, we didn't know if there was an answer to or not over the course of a couple of years. So um, yeah, that's, that's my background. <laughs> nice. No, absolutely. And I think, I think we'll, uh, we'll jump into more into sort of the origin story of, of uh, load and sports. So I think you sort of gave it to me there. I want to jump, jump in a little bit more on PDP in a second, but I do want to say this. Um, haven't been somebody who's around the Cape a lot, like a lot. Um, you know, I think I hit home 30 something games last year. It's unbelievable. The amount of talent that comes through, not on the field, but in like the offices, um, the amount of really smart people that I've met over the years that have gotten jobs in baseball and it's sort of, you know, been a springboard for their careers is one of the things I think that doesn't get mentioned enough about the Cape Cod league and how valuable it is to the game. Uh, and so many of them come through Matt High. I mean, honestly, Matt is Matt is like the the, the mayor of the Cape, and there's absolutely a reason for that. Um, and he's still great in terms of bringing in young people um, who are smart, and you know he identifies some stuff in. So you know, beyond being able to identify baseball players, he's also able to identify smart baseball minds. So um, yeah, that's that's funny. I didn't even know that about Matt Hyde. I know that uh, Peter Flaherty who runs uh Ketuit more or less at this point or is one of the AGMs there um is a you know Matt Hyde sort of protege as well so that's that's interesting but um let's talk through PDP a little bit and some of the athletic testing and I guess my question is what are you guys doing now what were you doing then has that evolved in terms of the type of testing that you're doing the type of stuff you're looking at there had to be some trial and error I imagine before you were able to kind of hone in and identify certain skills that maybe you know, portend 
the ability to play center field, like you said, or play shortstop, right? Or um, maybe measuring twitch in a different way than traditionally we would with the eye test. Yeah, I'll let Sean take a crack at that one first. And then I'll <laughs> fill in the blanks. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a constant evolution. Um, I, I think the initial battery of, of PDP tests, yeah, I mean, there was, we were doing a lot. Um, we were asking a lot of each individual athlete, right? And that was all kind of like doing eye tests and cognitive stuff and physical stuff. And, you know, all that was, was like the morning portion of the event. And then you go into the baseball, you know, more skill specific type of, of stuff in the afternoon. But yeah, I mean, I, I think as we've gone, we've learned, right. And, and I think, um, you know, having to be agile, having to be cognizant of, you know, whoever we're working with, um, you know, whatever that partner is, um, where we're at now, I, we, we've got to be concise, you know, we, we've got to be doing something that's meaningful, um, doing something that, that we have, you know, research and have, you know, firsthand knowledge that it actually applies to something. Um, and I think like for, for us, that is going to be an ever evolving situation, you know? Um, and again, whether that's the, the partner that you're working with or, you know, Matt and I are genuinely good human beings. I don't want to take athletes through stuff that doesn't mean anything, right? Like there is, um, in my opinion, probably in Matt's opinion, a significant amount of eyewash stuff that, you know, kids are, are put through on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And, and we don't want to do that. We, we want to be, you know, as, as concise, as meaningful, as informative as, as we possibly can, knowing, you know, whatever sport it is or position that we may be, you know, working with or evaluating. Um, so, yeah, there, there was a lengthy battery initially rolled out in PDP. Um, and I, I think where we are, we've, we've really done a good job of, of trimming some of the stuff that, you know, we just haven't found to be meaningful. Um, and again, I think that's going to be a, a, a constant evolution for us as a company. Yeah, it's it's a constant refinement. Um, I think if you go back to 2017 and we're unrolling all of this new testing at these events, and there's plenty of people that are throwing stones at the glass house saying, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? That doesn't mean anything, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for the first couple of years, you kind of have the pass of like, we're collecting data. And when we have enough of it, we're going to analyze it. And if it means something, then, you know, then we're good. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of part of like a, a, a good process is like, do something experiment basically figure out what works keep what works and then like if something else doesn't mean anything or get rid of it um mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of where we've gotten to is kind of like i i started towards the end of my time and sean left usa baseball a year plus before i did um i started looking at like what does this stuff mean because i felt like i needed to have the answers three or four years in and we couldn't just keep going out there and, and running kids through all of these different things and, you know, not have.
have the answer when people ask the question, like the man in the box assessment. Um, I don't know if you've seen it where you got the light on each of the four corners. Like I've found that that doesn't really correlate to anything in an evaluative sense, right? In a training environment, it's great. And we've seen with individual cases using that, that you can do some really good things with that. I mean, it's not really a test in that with that training, right? Um, so like, that's not something that we do in our evaluation, because one, it takes a lot of time Two, it doesn't mean anything in a one hit evaluative setting. Um, so I really started to dive in. This was probably spring 2020 into like, okay, what does a counter movement jump mean? What does single leg jump mean? What does brow jump mean? What does all of this mean in the context of what's happening on the field? And I was able to find all kinds of different relationships between those tests and what the players are doing on the field in terms of exit velocity and throwing velocity and, you know, the stuff that matters in the performance environment. Um, and when you find that, you know, two or three or four different metrics in different tests all correlate to the same thing, that also allows you to like not force a kid to do all of these different things. They can just do one of them. So we were able to take something that really probably was closer to a half hour to go through um, and cut it down to like right now we can evaluate an athlete and give you a really good idea and give the athlete a really good idea of where they're at in probably a minute and a half. Um, and again, that just comes from like collecting, analyzing and refining. So, um, That's interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that as I've read more of the stuff that you guys have put out there, um, you know, reports you guys have done, had conversations with folks in the game that, you know, hold your work in really high regard. It's the way that you're defining athleticism in baseball versus what we generally might define athleticism. Um, just, I think, like generally in society or just, you know, from those that aren't necessarily as informed, are there characteristics in particular that maybe set apart good baseball athlete from a guy that might be a really good football player, basketball player, and a pretty good baseball player, but this other guy who maybe isn't, you know, doesn't have the same vertical jump, but has a bunch of these other athletic characteristics that can actually make him a better baseball athlete. That, that's the thing I think that when I've read your stuff, I've always been most interested in. Um, and if I can, I can mention one in particular, if you tell me if you got this, but um, I remember Brady House doing really, really well on the athletic testing. And it kind of changed my opinion from what I think a lot of the noise that was out there was like House has to move off a shortstop. And having some of that information presented to me, it was like, maybe it doesn't. So like, what is it that maybe we miss just with our eyes or just from, you know, our more standard and, and typical evaluation of athleticism? Yeah, I'm going to go on my um, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook soapbox here for a second. Um, before I do that, like you look at the five tools of baseball and if you think about it, like there's one tool for a position player that is, you know, above all the biggest indicator of whether they make it or not. And I think we can all agree that's the hit tool. So, you know, like you can take the most athletic track athlete 
and I'm not saying that you can take that guy and turn him into an all-star baseball player. Uh, and you could take a guy who is not particularly athletic. And if he has a high level hit tool, he has a much better chance of climbing the ranks and becoming a big leaguer. Right. But when you have the combination and this is really how I split it up, like you have the athletic skill, which is going to be your speed, your power, your Twitch. And then you have the sport specific skill, which is what makes you good at the sport. Right. So for a hitter, it's the ability to hit for a defender, the ability to defend um, for a pitcher, you know, the ability to spin is huge. Right. So um, that's the scout's job. And that will continue to be the scout's job is to figure out that. But there's this piece where it's like the athletic engine of the athlete really, for me, kind of determines the ceiling on the tools. Um, and we found that a lot of the stuff that we test correlates really well to sprint speed and throwing velocity and exit velocity, which are things that are really important in the game. Um, so when you look at, and, and to break that down, athletic skill versus sport specific skill, I think that's every sport, right? And that's where Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook enter this equation where Steph Curry as a raw athlete is probably very average. He's, you know, six, two, six, three, and, uh, can jump just high enough to dunk a basketball if he needs to. Um, you probably won't see it very much. And from a defensive standpoint, you know, he's not that great. And it's probably because he's just an average athlete. But from a basketball skill standpoint, he's got some of the best pure basketball skill in the history of the NBA. Um, obviously, three-point shot, his handle, uh, his ability to pass, right? And that's such an important part of the game of basketball. But if you took his basketball-specific skill and you swapped it with Russell Westbrook, and now you have an average athlete with Russell Westbrook's basketball skill. He's probably not in the NBA and you probably don't know about him. On the inverse, Russell Westbrook for many years has been phenomenal because he's such an outlier athlete. He can make up for the fact that he doesn't have that same level of basketball skill with the fact that he can run circles around everybody. And that's why he impacts the game in his own way. And if you look at it from like, you take Steph Curry's basketball skill package and you take Russell Westbrook's freakish athleticism and you put them together. And that's really like your LeBron James or your Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Um, so when you start to look at that in the context of baseball and you look at it in the context of, you know, like a Brady house, like Brady house was an outlier athlete. Um, especially, you know, to even take it a step further compared to other athletes of his body type. And, um, despite his size, and I think, you know, there's a lot of shortstops in the game today that are six, three, six, four have size, but they're, they're not the same. It's not the same type of athlete as Brady house. Um, and, and there's a lot of shortstops where it's like, oh, you're six, four, you're six, five, like they're going to have to move off the position because of their size. But that doesn't mean that they're all wired the same. And it goes, it, it's the same thing for, for the small player, right? Corbin Carroll is a great example where like Corbin Carroll's on the smaller side and we tested plenty of athletes that were around Corbin Carroll's size while we were doing the PDP thing. Right. And Corbin Carroll was an outlier. It, like 
he did think he was able to produce power and in speed in ways that other guys his size weren't weren't doing and I, I i don't know that's always been something for me kind of like looking past the body bias right like people still wonder why corbin carroll has some of the best juice in the diamondback system and i, I don't wonder that <laughs> yeah and i think honestly i think that's a huge thing right now and especially in this game where like said skills and all that but there's a lot of great athletes in variety of sports that are under six feet tall and we get so obsessed in this game about guys that are like six two six three six four and it's like well sometimes like the outlier characteristics even come because a guy is five eleven six feet tall jack leiter is probably a perfect example when you look at like his release height and how his fastball moves if he's six foot five his fastball probably doesn't move like that if he's throwing that way you know it's probably a little bit more generic um there's actually another guy that has come up a little bit that has been up off to a hot start this season, speaking of sprinters, is Johnny DeLuca. And from what I've heard, DeLuca is, in terms of your testing, was a guy that, like, jumped off the page. Um, so I wanted to walk through a little bit of, like, you know, your sort of three pillars of loading sports. Um, but, you know, I know you have sort of, you mentioned it before, talent identification, you know, athletic testing, and keeping guys healthy. But you know, is he somebody that, you know, in terms of talent identification that really popped off, you know, the page for you guys? Yeah. I mean, again, you know, a guy who was probably like 5'10", 180 pounds coming out of high school, committed to the University of Oregon, um, who probably got a little bit overlooked. I mean, he was in a really strong class. That was the year where it was Nick Prado, Hagen Danner, Hans Kraus, Nick Allen. Just made Nicky Allen, yeah. Um, Calvin Mitchell. I mean, that was a really strong class out of SoCal, so probably got overlooked a little bit. I mean, Tyler Freeman, he was he was Another part guy. of that, yeah. Um, but obviously went to the University of Oregon, and you know we had tested him with PDP. He stood out at one of the first events we ever went to. So at that time, we didn't really have a whole lot to benchmark off of. Um, and then ran into him again at the Cape couple of years later when I was doing PDP testing up there uh, and was, you know, equally an outlier at that point. Um, and, you know, when you start to look and compare them to, you know, some of the other guys that went in the first round the past couple of years, high school outfielders, and it's like, well, they might've had, you know, much better looking body, but, you know, Johnny DeLuca was running circles around him in terms of, you know, what he was producing power wise and from a Twitch standpoint, from a speed standpoint, and now understanding what we know about the relationship between those metrics and, um, you know, exit velocity and, and the whole nine, it's like, it makes sense why, you know, when you watch him right now, you know, <laughs> it's not going to tell you whether he's going to hit or not, but it's going to tell you that like, yeah, when he, when he's hitting, he's, he's impacting the ball. And, and you see that with a whole bunch of different guys that we've tested over the past couple of years where, you know, it's like, Again, it's not going to tell you whether he's going to hit or not, but it's like when you see a guy who's, you know, 220 with a 950 OPS every time he connects, Justin Durden was another really good example. Uh, undrafted free agent signed with the Houston Astros, like tested him at the Southeast Prospect Showcase a couple of years ago with PDP, SEMO, super senior. Um, and then, you know, the Astros signed him, and I think he's either in high or double A right now. And, you know, 
once or twice a week, he's, you know, three for five with two doubles on a home run. And then, you know, he's <laughs> oh for five the other, you know, four or five nights. But I don't know. It just, I think when you look at it, it just comes down to like, this is going to be an indicator of ceiling or impact or whatever that looks like. And to go back to like, it's still the scout's job to determine how exactly the hit tool plays or whatever that looks like. Um, it's just really interesting because, you know, the better athletes when they take BP and when they do things on the field, it's just louder. I, th I think if, if I can jump in here too, Jeff, yeah, no, like I, th I think the, the way I've started to, to really, I guess, um, look at, at some of this stuff from an athletic standpoint in my brain, as I go back to like my first couple of years of scouting and TrackMan wasn't readily available, right? Um, and you would sit at a high school park or a college field and watch a guy that would, you know, throw a 2-0 fastball right down the middle of the plate to the three-hole hitter for the opposing team, and it would lock him up or it would be a bad swing, you know? Um, and then I think when you started to to – evolve into understanding spin rates and you know entrance angles and uh release points and and some of those different things you could then kind of begin to put your finger on some of those things right um and 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 explain them from an a, an objective data standpoint rather than just what my eyes were telling me like i i can just tell you this guy can sneak a fastball by somebody i don't know why but it's only 90 but, you know, that was Justin Wilson at Fresno State. That was Dougie Fister at Fresno State. Like, not super high velo guys, but they got people out with a fastball. And I think as data has, has you know, technology has evolved, as data has evolved, you know, some of those things, you're, you're able to kind of put your finger on that now. And I think that's the same thing, you know, with, with some of the athletic data where a guy that's, you know, uh, Mookie Betts size where, you know, we love Mookie out of high school, right? With, with the Padres and he's five, nine, he's 140, 150 pounds. Like you're not going to, you know, put that six or seven power grade on him that, that, you know, what he's been producing in the big leagues, you know, uh, Bellinger was a guy that you go watch in high school after his game, take BP with a wood bat, wouldn't hit any balls out. I think it, it, it allows you to kind of begin to understand the, the power that, they can produce athletically and, you know, translate that to on-field stuff. And, and, you know, to Matt's point about the ceiling may, may allow you to put your finger a little bit better on, you know, having some of that insight. Yeah. And I apologize that we're probably going to go a little long on this, but oh, great. <laughs> you got us rolling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everyone can see Elijah green coming from a mile away. Yeah. You know, but like uh, I know a name that's starting to gain steam out of Virginia Tech, catcher Kate Hunter. Mm -hmm. Like Kate Hunter was at that Southeast Prospect Showcase that Justin Durden was at, and he stood out there, right? And like I'm not saying that I would have called Kate Hunter as a first rounder or as as anything at that point because I had never seen him play, but I think that would have been enough at that time for me to say like, you know, to a couple of scouts like, hey, like go look at Kate Hunter because this dude's interesting and like it's kind of like um it kind of points you in the direction of like this could be something right um so yeah it's 
Well, I think I think that's what it is. It's like we we finally have the ability to almost cross check our own opinions with data, like whatever you have available to you. Obviously, you guys have more available to you than the average person. Um, but I felt as I've had more, it, like you've had to be more honest with yourself. Like if you miss something, and you can at least go back and identify how you missed. And I think that's what you know sort of started all this based on what Sean had said and. I think from what you're saying, it's like we're now able to identify maybe some better baseball athletes and not get as caught up in the eyewash. And there was so much of that, you know, just based on sort of traditional ideals of like what a baseball player looks like, how they play uh, and all those sort of things. Obviously, there's there's baseline stuff like hit tool. You got to be able to throw a certain level of strikes. You don't have to throw 80 percent strikes, but you got to throw a certain level of strikes as a pitcher. There's just certain things. Right. Um I want to expand a little bit more into some of the other stuff that you guys do. We've talked about talent identification. You know, we've, we've talked about some of the athletic testing in depth. I could certainly go into more on that later, but you know, what are you guys doing to keep athletes healthy? And I'm interested because I was at a two hour baseball game last night, a nine inning, two hour baseball game here. It was uh, Fort Myers at Dunedin. Um, it was really well pitched game by Marco Raya. He's another guy that probably stands out a little bit. Um, but I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on like pitch clocks and like the impact on recovery. Cause I think everyone loves it right now and the games are shorter, but you know, if we're talking June, July and, and guys are breaking down or there's more significant injuries, I'm kind of worried about that. So somebody that's, you know, worked in that space and, you know, understands the things you got to do to keep athletes healthy. Do you think that the pitch clocks in particular could have like a really negative impact or, is it maybe from a case-to-case -case sort of basis? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I think the, the, the cool, th the, the immediate thing that stood out to me going back to when we first started implementing athletic testing, right, was this light bulb effect, I think for both Matt and I, that the, the testing was trying to quantify athleticism. Athleticism plays on a baseball field, on a softball field, on a soccer field, on an ice hockey rink, whatever it is. Um, and I think as we have evolved um, in that thought process, like it, it doesn't matter the gender, right? Like athleticism, again, again it, it goes across, it's not age specific, right? So kind of pulling back and, and taking that focus off that, you know, 14 to 18, 14 to 21 year old elite baseball male athlete, like we, we began to see kind of a, a, a holistic picture um, on the testing side, but, but then also in chewing through data year over year over year and, and understanding like the same data that, can be used to, you know, for, for a selection identification thread can also be used for that individual athlete for, from a developmental perspective. Right. Um, and I think that that's as a parent, one of the, the coolest things for me to look at is, you know, getting a, 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 an assessment done, getting, you know, baseline feedback, objective feedback on, you know, kind of where you are, depending on your sport that you play, your position you play, gender, you know, age, all that. Um, 
you now have a, a jumping point to learn about yourself and, and compete about yourself, compete with yourself to then make those improvements, right? Whether that's power or uh, quickness or speed or whatever it is, general athleticism. Um, and then I think that the symmetry component, um, you know, is, is probably the biggest thing for us in terms of like keeping people healthy. Right. And, and there's a, a ton of research, uh, out there on, you know, lower body asymmetries and, and how that impacts injury risk. Right. Um, and so that is something for us that we prioritize, um, in any athlete, right? Um, and it's something that we want to track and monitor that those lower body asymmetries are not continuing to get worse and worse over time because again, you're just inviting that increased risk of injury in as those asymmetries grow. Yeah, and and Jeff, just kind of I mean, we don't we don't have the answer necessarily on the pitch clock. <laughs> The pitch clock no. situation, but from where I sit, like for me, it's preparing for a different race, right? Yeah. So you you prepare the whole off season for what you've been used to, but I think pitchers are going to have to start preparing in different ways where you got to get ready faster, right? So it's like, you know, marathon versus a sprint almost where you're going out there and I, I don't know, whether it's the athlete, whether it's the team, hopefully that there's different things in place for them to measure how the body's recovering, how the body's doing over the course of that. Because to your point, uh, we're going to find out, you know, come mm -hmm. August, what what these pitch clocks are going to start doing to these bodies. And people are going to have to adjust and adapt in their training in the off season and how they recover in season um, to account for that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's teams out there that are doing, you know, load management, devices a variety of ways for them to sort of measure that and quantify it because obviously you know a 60 pitch um you know outing isn't necessarily the same for one guy that it is for another guy that it is for another guy in terms of like what their actual load is and what the stress and you know potential recovery that's needed and i would think it's the same as you said um you know from pitch to pitch with with certain pitchers right i mean there's certain guys that get the ball and and just fire it back, right? Mark Burley. And then there's David Price, who like you know goes through like an existential crisis for 25 seconds every time he throws a pitch, right? But I mean, they're both really good, successful major league pitchers, right? That pitch at a really high level for really competitive teams, you know, that won championships. So like you can't necessarily knock each approach. But I thought what you said was interesting there that it's almost you know as if you're training for a different race. It's more of a sprint than it is you know had been previously. And I, I wonder if with the amount of training that guys did and just how fractured the entire offseason was with the lockout and everything else, if like we're inviting potential injury risk at a position where it's already astronomical just because of, you know, the demands physically. Um, I wanted to go back to the athletic testing a little bit here, too. Um, are there characteristics? And I know we're going off board here a little bit, but I'm very interested and we're going to go long. So let's do it. Um, are there characteristics that really define athleticism for a pitcher versus a position player? And I know that, you know, we've talked about hit and all sorts of things and, and the ability to play defense. Um, but pitching is such a whole body sort of motion, right? Um, it's different from just about from 
a lot of other things that are done in, in sports and just in terms of what you have to do, the amount of time you have to sort of load up versus like a football throw and some of those things. Are there characteristics that you, know, you guys sort of hone in on um, with a pitcher versus a hitter? I think we try and keep it, um, or at least, yeah, I try and keep it. And you know, I think Sean's in the same boat with me, like as, as simple as possible, whether you're looking at a pitcher or a position player. And really for us, like there's so many different ways you can define athleticism. And we're not saying that the way that we're doing it is right. Um, but good luck finding, you know, like a universal definition for athleticism, right? What we found is that the, the guys that believe like, I don't know, you go to any amateur showcase, you see a 15 or 16 or 17 year old kid who's a halfway decent pitcher. And like, while they're running sixties and they're taking BP, you know, they're having a snack in the bullpen, right? Uh, it's kind of like ingrained in baseball culture that like pitchers aren't athletes. Oh, I'm a PO, you know? whatever you're like <laughs> that's what you get but the reality is, is you could go down to that bullpen you got five pitchers just bumming it they're wearing their hat like this and you know <laughs> three of those guys are really bad athletes and they should be po's and then one of those guys is a premium athlete and that's the guy who's probably going to end up being you know the the top prospect in a couple of years right what we found from like a trait standpoint is that guys with higher levels of athleticism that are pitchers are typically the ones that are ascending the top prospect list. So they're, it's not necessarily an indicator of like, Oh, this guy's going to get drafted high, but it's an indicator of like, okay, once this guy is in affiliated ball, like this is the guy who's ascending a lot faster than the guy who might not necessarily be as athletic. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I can specifically like look back to the 2020 draft and the most athletic pitchers in that draft were Garrett Crochet, Bobby Miller, Cade Cavalli, uh, Sam Weatherly and Burl Caraway. And um, three of those guys are the top pitching prospects in, in the game right now. Um, and there were plenty of other college pitchers that were mixed in before them in between them, whatever that looks like. So um Pitching is a complete mixed bag because, again, like it comes down to like, oh, do you have the ability to spin the ball? Do you have the ability to you know, mix in a changeup? Um, but when you're talking about like ceiling, it comes through on the pitching side just as much. And if not, that's almost more important because those are the guys who are throwing hard and their hat's not coming off and they're not grunting. And it's just they make it look effortless. Um, yeah, I think it's, a, it, it's that's, an ease. That's more it, of an more of a subjective observation um, yeah. and connection that we found, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's more, more of an ease of, of, of operation. I think ultimately, right. Like the more athletic ability to repeat a delivery, control the hand, control the zone, you know, work deeper into games, log more innings, you know, disperse energy properly in, in a delivery. Um, but I, I think to Matt's initial point, like it may not be this bucket pitcher, this bucket position player. I think there's some general trades overall that cross over. Um, but I think that's ultimately what we found, like the, the better the athlete, the higher the ceiling, the more, you know, ease of operation, you know, those different things. You think about it from like, Mike Trout on the position player side, like it's a very compact swing and he's able to produce a lot of juice. I think, you know, you think about a Brady house, like Brady house doesn't need this huge swing to produce 70 grade power. 
there are guys out there that have huge swings that are going to have huge holes that have 70 grade power. Right. But it's like the more athletic guys can produce more power without having to sell out. Right. And, you know, ultimately they've got other things that they need to, you know, figure out and adjust to as hitters because there's a million different things that go into being a good hitter. But, you know, if not swinging out of your shoes to get to plus power or beyond um, is a box you can check, that's a pretty good box to check. And honestly, that's a really interesting parallel too, just between like high effort deliveries, high effort swings, long swings, right? And the ability to get that power, you know, without like full exertion all the time, right? Maybe that's the best way to put it. But um, that's 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 fascinating. And I think just this stuff in general uh, is really interesting to read up on. You guys do blogs. You give a Discord community, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of content over on your site. Um, if you guys want to plug any of that stuff before we wrap up here, please do so. So our, our listeners can get a little bit more down the wormhole on all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. I do want to shout out Huntington beach high school, uh, Benji Madur, <laughs> best high school coach in America. Now, um, long time friend of ours and, uh, supported us from, from day one was, was all in about, you know, what we could do to potentially help his program and, mm-hmm. We've been out there a number of times over the past year for regular touch points with his guys. And I think Sean started to touch on this earlier. You know, a huge part of what we do is is about benchmarking progress, um, you know, be able to show kids objectively, show coaches objectively, like, look, September, you know, half your guys who spent 90% of the summer on the road are beat up. They're going to need something a little bit different than, you know, the, the guys that got better over the summer because they weren't on the road all summer. And, um, you know, just kind of pointing kids in the direction of, you know, like, this is what you need to do to get better. Um, and really explaining to them everything that we explain to you in terms of how being a good athlete translates on a baseball field. Um, and then, you know, from a, a monitoring health standpoint, you know, I know that there was a picture that, you know, just from the lower half symmetry stuff, checking it touch point to touch point over three months, you know, the, the symmetry got way out of whack. Uh, that opened the door for a conversation. They were able to find out that he was doing some questionable training. They shut that down. They got him back on the right track. Um, I know Benji will say it, you know, if if nothing else comes out of doing the testing, you know, potentially saving that kid from blowing out because, you know, one leg was starting to get way stronger than the other leg. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of been like a playground a little bit and, um, I guess, I don't know, beta testing, whatever it may be of like, all right, what are we going to find next, you know, in, in terms of our, our touch points. And I think it's, it's done wonders for, you know, what they're doing over there in terms of, you know, providing a window into all the different athletes in their program. So, um, yeah, that's, that's going to be my shout out. I mean, you can follow our Twitter and our Instagram at load and sports. You can go to our website, read our blog monthly. Um, we do have a podcast that comes out where we bring different developmentally focused guests on. We've had professional baseball players and most recently a strength coach. Um, but yeah, I think for us, like the biggest thing is like, yeah, keeping kids healthy and, and helping kids reach their potential and, um, yeah, Sean, I don't know. You got anything? You want to shout anyone out? <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, I'm good. I think you covered that. 
But it's like a Hot Ones episode. It's like, all right, you got 30 seconds. You got a camera here, camera here, camera here. <laughs> <laughs> it's I I, I just think, you know, the website and 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 the social stuff's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I grew up in a household with with a, you know, 37 year, you know, kindergarten to second grade teacher and, and education, I, I think, is always kind of been at the backbone. And, and now as a parent myself, um, you know, there, there's a lot of different things in, in this entire youth athletic landscape, right? And, and you know, professionalization of it and, you know, overtraining and injuries and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I really think it comes down to, you know, education. And, and if there's something that, that we can, you know, produce in terms of content, whether it's podcast or blog or whatever it is, the, the stuff that we do in our daily work, um, to help educate, you know, that's, that's ultimately what we're here for. And, and, you know, trying to, to strive towards, you know, just a, I think a better youth, uh, professional athletic experience in general. Yeah. And, uh, here, here, I am fully behind that. And as uh, <laughs> somebody who's, who's coached, you know, has coached little league and been around, um, positive experiences within it and, and negative experiences and seeing, you know, I come from, I live in a somewhat wealthy town and didn't grow, I grew up in a very working class town that was very baseball obsessed. And the contrast is very interesting just in terms of like, we went outside and we played at the baseball field for 10 hours. We did it ourselves, screwed around. Yep. We tried things, we threw from different arm slots. Like, you know, we, we played different positions. We tried to hit left-handed and yep. now everything is like, so like curated and yep. It just seems like like that element of just like creativity and like trial and error has kind of been lost, and that's that's yeah. the thing that you know that I miss. Like I, I would rather we we practice three times a week and play one game on the weekends. You know. Yep. Um, because you would see, and this is everything. Like I always try to take on guys that haven't played before, um, guys that maybe don't have as much skill because I don't care about winning. Um, and it's it's funny to see the the contrast there, especially as these guys. We worked on things, and then by the end of the season, they're making great relay throws. They're making the right decision in the field. They're yep. confident, and they're being aggressive in the box as opposed to trying to walk all the time, which was yep. always my thing. I'm like, when you're when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, you don't need to have a 450 OBP, dude. Just go out there, <laughs> go out there and try to put the bat in the ball because you're not going to get better unless you learn how to hit different types of pitches, different pitch heights, you know. Yep stuff on the outside, stuff on the inside and, and, and trial and error. And I think that's something with, with youth sports that's missed. Um, yeah. So I appreciate hearing that, but Matt, Sean, I really appreciate having you guys on. We'll have to have you back on again, um, probably after the draft. I kind of want to get some of your takes maybe potentially <laughs> if you're allowed to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> once again, a uh, loading sports, you can follow both these guys on Twitter as well. Uh, thanks for coming on. And we'll be back next week with another episode of uh, the 90th percentile.